Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. episode of Americans Watching the Footy. I'm your master of scaremonies, Ethan Castle. And I'm Benjamin. You know, I just thought, since girls with Jack Skellington tattoos are already getting into the Halloween spirit, I just wanted to make them feel welcome here. I was just going for the... And I'm Mark thing from the Bash Brothers album. One of the greatest concept albums ever. In fact, it's the only concept album I know of, so... Okay, well, I get. I mean, if you count like what Rebirth as a concept album or something, or I mean, there there are a lot of others. But what do you think Australia's cultural awareness of the Lonely Island is? Probably somewhat decent. I feel like Australians think probably are at least at least aware of Dick in a Box, and maybe I'm on a boat. Yes, Brian. Brian has been very talkative just beneath Ethan's bed. I'm not sure if it's picked up. I hope it has. I but- like his noises a lot. Yeah, Brian, got anything else to say? Not for now, I guess, but uh, yeah, welcome to the round 19 preview. We are past the three-quarters point of the home and away season. In terms of, yo, know, calendar, we oh, are... Really? I, I guess we are. Yeah, that's how fractions work. I know you look for some sort of overarching theme in the recap. I don't really see any possibility for it here. I mean, I guess a theme could be a lot of clubs close to each other on the ladder playing each other. You've got... Four games in which the teams are no more than two places apart. Now, is it a good thing or a bad thing that none of the bottom three are facing each other? You see, I think we kind of got both potential answers to that last week on Seems Like a Good Time to Make Other Plans Sunday. North and Hawthorne definitely felt like a step down, maybe not necessarily. Bottom three would definitely, you know, bottom third or bottom half. Like, definitely not a finest caliber team to be found there. Definitely not. Richmond and West Coast, I mean, it's West Coast, so you know they'll get clobbered. I mean, there's a greater chance for games to be competitive, even if they aren't extremely well played, if they're closer on the ladder. So make of that what you will. My thing is, like, you have, you know, the three games involving those three teams, potential blowouts, but also, you know, if any of them stay close or well I could see Hawthorne's game staying close. The other two, if they do, just a chance for a lot of laughing at people. If you're talking about this week, yeah, we also have the potential for a closer version of the worst game that we've had this year. And of course, that's the last game to bounce because some of the worst games usually get saved for last for some weird reason. I I, I don't get it. Maybe that's a product of Seven having the middle game. Yes, it was the middle one. And so usually a more marquee matchup is placed there. 
We do mourn the loss of Thursday night footy for the home and away season. The Swans and Bulldogs game was a great way for that to go out. There will probably be one more during finals. I remember last year, the first final was a Thursday nighter. Which game was that? Would that have been... I think that was Brisbane and Richmond. That was Darcy Wilmot's debut, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, I'm mixed because I'm going to be on the road again. So having you know one less night of footy isn't always such a bad thing. And sometimes I appreciate having two games going on at once if one of them is shitty. Because the other one keeps you awake. Yeah, but there are times when it definitely sucks to have games running concurrently, especially as we'll see as we get into some of the scheduling of this round. I will say the scheduling for this round, I think it's largely worked out with the overlaps because like Saturday night, one of the overlap games has kind of lost some of its steam. Still, though, it's another one where it's where they're close on a ladder. Both the Saturday night games are. I think the the time that's going to be the most chaotic in this round, I think there's a good chance it's Sunday during the overlap between the first and second games because I have really high expectations for that first Sunday game. Enough circling around it. You've got 8th versus 7th to start off the round with Friday night footy. 8th place Essendon technically hosting the 7th place Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium, but of course they're playing at Marvel. In the in the 33 meetings since 2000, 31 of them have been at Marvel. And I think the other two are probably moved because of COVID. It's a 7.50 p.m. bounce as usual. For Americans, you can watch this one on Fox Sports 2 at 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific. Coverage beginning 20 minutes earlier. Now, I'm thinking they're not going to, there's not going to be a promotional photo with both teams' premiership cups altogether. I mean, you could have the 18 premiership cups there together. I was just thinking of that photo the other day and how much it got ripped. Essendon enter at 9-8. They're in 8th after getting whipped by Geelong. The Bulldogs also 9-8, coming off a very different type of loss. The two-point defeat at the hands of the Swans. No goal scored in the final five or so minutes of clock time for that one. It was Tom Papley that had the winner on his 27th birthday. Oh, he likes celebrating. Yes, he does. The Dogs come in with a little extra rest because they played that Thursday night or last week. These teams met just once last year, round 7, a 32-point Bulldogs win. It was one of Josh Dunkley's best games. Peter Wright kicked four for the Bombers in the losing effort. Talls are a topic of discussion for Essendon this week, specifically Rucks, because Andrew Phillips can return from his suspension. But Sam Draper remains out with his hip injury, so I believe that's four games that he's missing in a row now. Didn't realize that this injury was going to be as medium term, I guess, as it's turned out to be. So the question really becomes, what's the status of Nick Bryant? He was Essendon's best rated player against Geelong, though that might not say a lot. I wasn't especially impressed by him, but I didn't think he did anything particularly bad, although Reese Stanley did have a share of hitouts to advantage. I strongly maintain that Essendon's best player that night, at least in my eyes, was Ben Hobbs. That's not dead, Ben. I'd like to see Brian, though, get more of a chance as just kind of a full field mark, maybe a bit of forward time, because I don't know how Sam Wiedemann remains in the lineup after being goalless for seven games in a row and regularly beaten in contests on Saturday. The acts- it's not just that he was goalless. It's the turnovers, the fumbles, the just it, it looked like he had lost his powers like some Space Jam type thing. It looks like he needs a rest, just period. Don't even play him this week, then bring him into the reserves. Give Brian a chance full field or maybe have Patrick Voss for a debut. Just something different. 
We know that Dylan Shield will be out again with a foot injury. Jaden Wolverde could play after having his ankle hurt by that Zach Merritt, Gary Rowan collision, that whole thing. If Laverty can't go, Kane Baldwin is most likely to be called up. Nick Cox is an option. He played all right in the VFL before being rested in the second half. But most people's eyes in the VFL for Essendon are on Elijah Sadas, who, after a 31 disposal, 11 clearance performance, is knocking on the door of selection for his debut. I'm I'm rethinking that Varna nickname. I mean, it's okay, but Chainsaw would work. I don't know. It's I mean, it's not bad. I just feel like it takes so much explaining. As opposed to, for example, Zach Tui just Reg, and then why? Catterbolt. Yeah, see, it's like, it's not the obvious name, and it's, it's like kind of a deep cut, but it's not like a five-step thing. Like, it takes less effort to get to Vinda for Jack Lukosius. Yeah, that's an easy one. Vinda Lukosius. Like how Nick Larky Suf. Oh, Jack Lukosius, we also said, you know, he's kind of like Indian food, where he's either great or terrible, no in-between which is something you originally said about Bulldogs defender Ryan Tika Masala-Gartner, who was all right against Buddy Franklin early on last week, but Buddy won more and more of that matchup as the game went on. I would look at, I mean, we've, we're have we kind of biased about this, but we'd like to see Buku Kamis in, though he might get in as a forward after kicking four goals. He could go between 50s. Rory Lobb is another candidate to have that sort of game as well, especially with Sam Darcy copping another nasty injury. He cannot catch a break this time. It's a court quad with some significant internal bleeding, and that's a three to five week timeline. They'll also be replacing both James O'Donnell and Lockie McNeil. Bailey Smith should be healthy. We'll see about Mitch Hannon. He is listed as a test. He's been subbed out a couple times as well, so he's still kind of on the fringe. Oscar Baker's another one who's pushing to get back in. I would consider bringing him back. I don't think he did you know, anything particularly wrong to be dropped in the first place, and they were in dire need of any sort of forward six player other than Aaron Naughton to have a good game last week, and Baker seems like a logical one to spark something. I think this is a game, though, where you really just overwhelm Essendon with tall forwards. We've seen big forwards give them problems. They struggle to match up with guys like Tom Hawkins. Someone out of Naughton or Waitman or Jamara is going to have a big game. This screams a Jamara bag to me. I would love for that to happen because it's been a while. I mean, when it did happen, it was amazing because it was the round three Thursday nighter against the Lions, which was also his friend Artie Jones's debut. It admits as we've seen Artie at the AFL level. I'd love to see him get back in, but I think he's probably going to remain in the VFL for the remainder of the year. I think he's still got a very bright future ahead of him, though. I'm not I'm not too concerned about big picture for him. Yeah, Artie hasn't been in since round 13 against Port. The Dogs are three and a half point favorites. And I guess if Luke Beveridge just underthinks this as he should and overwhelms with talls, I see no reason why they shouldn't take care of business. You've got a clear path to beat them. You've seen Geelong do it multiple times. You've seen other teams do well with it. Just do the simple thing here. What could Essendon do to win this game? I think we've seen very clearly how the Dogs can win it. There's something in there with being able to neutralize at least one of Marcus Bonapelli, Tom Libertore, and Adam Trelor. I think Ben Hobbs being really physical again is a necessity for that to happen. Being able to get Nick Martin more involved, whether that's succeeding more on the wing or having him come inside as an extra number one necessary. I think they're going to have to win it with possession time, and that would require 
their midfield to be superior, which is a tough task, but I guess I could see it. I'm surprised the Dodgers are only favored by three and a half. Just when I look at this matchup, I just think I see much more of an avenue for the Bulldogs to win this game, as do I. Get used to having five games Saturdays again. It's going to be that 1-5-3 schedule format, I think, pretty much up through round 23 and probably 24. We'll see about 24, but it's going to be Richmond and Hawthorne kicking things off at the G. This round is interesting because the first three games and the final two games are in Melbourne, and then the four in the middle are not. So you'll have games at the G and Marvel to kick off Saturday. This one will be at 8.45 p.m. our time Friday night, 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast, 1.45 p.m. local, and 4.45 a.m. if you're going to be watching in Benin, which was formerly known as Dahomey. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. Tigers up to 11th at 8, 8, and 1. The more I think around it, the more I'm liking their chances of making finals. Just looking at the... Oh, I said this in my run home video. You've got the win against the Eagles this past week. You've got Hawthorne coming up. You've still got one against North. So that should get him 10. And then two more should be enough. And it's attainable with the other matchups they have. As for the Hawks, they're 5-12. and 12. They're in 16th coming off a win over North. And I could see them hanging around and making this game interesting. Uh, last year, the teams met twice, both at the G. I would love to see what would happen if Richmond had to go play a game in Tasmania. They haven't played the Hawks there since 2006, and they haven't played North in Tasmania since 2016. So uh, it's been a minute. This will be the 22nd straight meeting between Richmond and Hawthorne at the MCG, and just one of those has been a final. That streak began in 2007. The Tigers are... 3-0-1 in their last four meetings, 8-1-1 in their last 10. So yeah, last year, Richmond swept a 23-point win in round 9, and then in round 22, a 61-point win where the Tigers blew it open with a 9-goal to one third quarter, and Tom Lynch kicked 8 goals straight. But the 2021 meeting still fascinates us. Oh, I'm also fascinated by the 2020 meeting because that very bad Hawthorne team beat the eventual premiers by 32. I do not remember this. What round was that? Round three in the DMCG. 71 to 39. Tigers kicked 5-9. Well, they had also kicked 5-6 the previous week. Took a bit for them to find their legs again after the pause. But 2021, a draw to end the season, to end the careers of David Astbury and Sean Burgoyne in his 407th and final game. It was Alistair Clarkson's last game as Hawthorne's coach. Just a ridiculous ending. Six goals to three in the fourth for Richmond to bring it back to even literally just in time. Yeah, Jack Revolt kicked the tying goal with two seconds left. He also scored with 34 seconds left. Richmond finished on a 25-0 run, including two goals by Sidney Staff, who you were surprised Geelong didn't claim as a reclamation project. I hope he finds his way back onto his feet. Haven't heard much about him since... He returned to the Perth Demons, and I know he was on their reserves list. Yeah, he's not had a game at the Waffle State level this year. We'll see if Richmond make changes. They probably won't have many. Uh, Morris Frioli Jr. was subbed out and was pretty pissed about it, so maybe there's something there. Uh, Ryan Mansell and Noah Cumberland each played well in the VFL. I think at this point, Cumberland for Rioli would just be kind of interchangeable meh. I would like to see Mansell back in there. Mansell's been, I think, the more interesting player than Cumberland as of late. 
And I, it's not because of the suspension. I think it, I think it provides something a bit different there as well. But yeah, not many changes needed after not getting any more injuries, doing the needful against West Coast. Some sad news for Hawthorne, one of our favorite players for them, probably our favorite actually, Chakwith Joth suffered a groin injury in the VFL as he was coming back from his hamstring injury, so with all the soft tissue stuff, he may not end up playing again this season at any level. I, I would say, I don't know if he's necessarily my favorite, I think he's the most compelling I think my favorite might be Jai Nukem or Cooper Stevens because he's Cooper Stevens. Can he get a fucking game already? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Jai Sorong's ahead of him in that front. Maybe Ned Long as well. Among names that have been doing well at Box Hill. Just the normal group there. Harry Morrison's been an emergency for a while. In terms of players who saw the Oval against North, Fergus Green had a little bit of a knee issue, so he's a test this week. Nothing else really to report there. Some concussions to watch. Max Ransden is going to miss another week because he got hit in the head with a Sharon and suffered delayed symptoms. They were saying on the broadcast that must have been just like a Sharon that was in a puddle or something to cause that. Either that or, or he just smothered a kick with his face. James Blank is available from his concussion protocol, and I wouldn't be surprised if Seamus Mitchell returned. I was surprised to see him managed after a Rising Star nomination. What can Hawthorne do to make this interesting, then, Ethan? Uh, kick straight and get a decent game out of Sam Frost for the second week in a row? Because we know their midfield can take on just about anybody. Yeah, they, they remain strong at clearance. Connor McDonald has been very active these past couple, along with the more typical names of Newcomb and Day. I'd say a better game out of Dylan Moore as well. He's been a bit quieter as of late as a smaller half forward. Want to see him hit a scoreboard a bit. I think it's largely been a year to forget for him, but I will give him credit for finding a way to nearly 30 disposals against North, and also for taking the mantle as a stand-in captain and seemingly doing all right in that. I like him being in the leadership group there. The Tigers are 18.5 point favorites. I'm surprised it's not higher. I'm wondering if it's just because Hawthorne won, and Richmond didn't put on the herd against West Coast like they should have until late. I don't know, I feel like maybe... I hope this is one where it's like the odds makers know something we don't know. I want to be entertained. I want to be surprised. I would enjoy for this game to be close. Well, we'll probably be more entertained by Richmond and Hawthorne than by the game that's opposite it. I mean, unless you just want another Blues beatdown because Carlton hosts the Eagles at Marvel Stadium. So 2.10 p.m. local, 12.10 p.m. for Western Australian audiences. For Americans, 12.10 a.m. just into Saturday on the East Coast. 9 10 p.m. Friday on the West Coast. Why is this the Fox Sports 2 game? I think, well, logically, there might be some programming on before it. My answer is because they want to show that anyone can play footy. It's kind of like how some really bad Buffalo Sabres teams got a lot of national TV time. Like in the days when, it, when that network was called Versus. No, this is more recent than that. Ah, the NBC Sports era. The, the network is now dead, though, regardless. The Sabres have the longest active playoff drought among the big North American leagues, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you could give the Marlins a bit of an asterisk because theirs was in an expanded postseason in 2020, but the Sabres missed out on the expanded playoffs in 2020 themselves. Yeah, I still give it to them. The Blues are 8-8-1. Eight, eight, They're up to 10th after defeating Port, a surprise result in a number of ways between 
I guess the result in the first place, as well as the margin, Port did have a number of outs, but I didn't expect Jack Silvani and Jesse Motlop to kick four goals each. I did not expect Tom DeConing to outplay Scott Lysette. I didn't expect Jesse Motlop to play at all. I mean, he was in about five minutes before the bounce. He just, you know, was relaxing and eating a brownie. It's like, oh, I'm playing? Cool, let me kick four goals. Hopefully he stays in. I'd be much more fine with him kicking nine goals than it being Charlie Curnow again, because he did that in round seven when the Blues won in Perth by 108. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if Curnow does it's like your game plan is predicated on him. If he still beats you, that's that's bad. I mean, he's a damn good player, but... And they won't have Jeremy McGovern to be able to match up against him a bit because McGovern suffered late concussion symptoms. I don't think that they were late symptoms. I think that the Eagles medico is just fucked up because I have very little trust in their medical department at this point with how many just seemingly innocuous football incidents turn out to be hamstring problems, for example. There's a reason that I, along with other fans, call for an external review into their strength and conditioning and their medical department pretty much every week. Oh yeah, this past week it was uh, Ruben Jinby that got the hamstring injury. Timeline is not clear there. Andrew Gaff was the sub last week. I think that was a wake-up call for him, though I'm not enamored with his play style still. I feel like he will be back in the 22. I feel like Jack Petrocelli will be as well. It was a laid out with a court calf. I hope Ryan Merrick is able to stay in still, because I like what he provides, even when he's not marking and kicking goals. Uh, there's no reason not to keep him. I mean, maybe the game time will also convince him to sign on even further, because he is a midseason draft pick, so... It's just a contract through the end of the season when that happens. We haven't heard anything about him signing on yet. Would be nice to hang on to some younger pieces. Out of the players in the waffle, I'd also like for Greg Clark to get in. One of their more physical midfielders. I was going to say young, but he was a mature age recruit in the first place. Just a player that I've come to enjoy watching on this Eagles squad. Maybe he could be a sub. I don't know. So I was shocked that Jordan Boyd's three-game suspension was upheld considering... A, that was a shit ruling. B, Carlton lawyers. I was less shocked because it went to the tribunal. You know, had I don't really see them lessening anything from three to two, for example. So when it's taken to them for someone like that, it's usually just upheld. The determining factor there was that the arms were both pinned, I think, and that made it impossible for Bird Jones to be able to cushion his own fall. In a year where we've been questioning a lot of tribunal decisions, it's been the pinning of arms. It's more consistently been a determining factor. Yeah, at least there has been consistency with that. But like, you're telling me that what Toby Dan Curvis and Jordan Dugowie did should get the same amount of games as that. You're telling me that Josh Rochelle's punch should get one less than that. Is there like, there's no like suspension history to know about with Jordan Boyd, is there? I mean, this isn't like a Rafi Torres matter. If Jordan Boyd or Rafi Torres, it'd be suspended for probably 10 games. What if it was Toby Green? Lifetime ban. Uh, other than that, Harry Mackay is going to be out for the remainder of the home and away season with his knee injury, barring an incredible recovery. So maybe you just keep Jesse Motlop in and bank on Jack Silvani as the second taller option there, as well as Rock cover. I like having Motlop there on the small end, having him kind of maybe play on the opposite side from Jack Martin is an option. Yeah, I've liked what Martin's done as well. And I think having a more established option like Martin in their heads, I think woken them up to, you know, be willing to kick to other targets that aren't Coleman medalists. 
I'm also just like a fan of Motlop because I think he fits the identity that this team needs to embrace where they just like overwhelmed with speed. Yeah, overwhelmed with speed, create chaos. You can do that for handball. Sam Walsh has been key in that lately. His kick to handball ratio has gone way down and that's been for the better. The more frantic sequences this team can create, the better. And I think Motlop is really good at that. I think that's like probably the best part of this game. Could be a little more difficult to manage that without Adam Chera. He's likely to be managed with his hamstring injury. Good time to do it. Good time to give Patty Dow a start finally. Watch him be the sub still. It would be honestly hilarious. Mark Pitnett, Corey Darden, and Zach Fisher could all get in at some level. Uh, the VFL team had a bye last week, but Oliver Hollins, Lockie Cowan, and Jackson Bins could all factor into selection. I would like to see Hollins back in there. I liked him at the start of the year. And they also provided for some of the faster play out of halfback with some effort on the wing as well, linking up to guys like Blake Akers. So I think having them in could be part of that faster solution all over the oval. So I like that idea. Is 65 and a half points too high for the line? And why is the answer no? I mean, you seem to have a decently good sense of what the Eagles are going to do. Although, I don't think you had you called that St. Kilda game being competitive, did you? No, I did not. That was a complete surprise. And I mean, the Eagles did pull one surprise at Marvel last year. I will also say this. The psychology of getting up to beat the shit out of a team a second time when you know you're way better than them on an ordinary day is difficult. I thought it was beating them a third time, but this is at the NFL. Brisbane hosting Geelong at the Gava in the middle of Saturday affair. I'm really glad that this game gets a lot of time to itself because it is a pretty enticing matchup. Third versus fifth, the Lions coming off that loss to Melbourne, but standing pat in third. Geelong, holy cow, they're up to fifth. Yeah, it's, it's a very precarious fifth. It was a must-win game over Essendon, honestly, because... Now you pretty much just have to go three and three the rest of the way. And if you manage to pick up a win against one of the top three, you should be set. Yeah, then you don't have to worry about round 24 as much, which I'd really like to not have to worry about. I'd really love it to not come down to that, even though we've handled the Bulldogs pretty well for a while. This will be your 4.35 p.m. local time Saturday in Australia, 2.35 a.m. on the East Coast, and 11.35 here on the West Coast of the U.S., Unfortunately, most U.S. viewers are not going to get this game unless you have Watch AFL like we do or Fox Soccer Plus. Yeah, that is unfortunate. I do like that Fox Soccer Plus allows for every game to be viewed live on TV, though. Just forget what the price point is for that, though, because it's, you know, not what we use. I was surprised that one of the hotels I stayed at a few weeks ago actually added through, like, the Roku stuff. That was nice. So you could just put every game on your TV like normal? Yeah. I mean, you could mirror stuff from your phone, but it's a lot easier. And, you know, or cast from my laptop. That too, but that could just have some choppiness with frame rate and stuff. The Cats swept lines last year. It was a 10-point game in round four. Geelong winning by 10 behinds at the Cattery. Tom Hawkins kicked 5-3. Hey, that sounds familiar. And then in the prelim, it was as if the Brisbane Lions had expended all their energy to get over the, the G curse and beat Melbourne because they ended up pretty flat in a 71-point defeat. Overall, Caps have won five of the last six meetings. The most recent loss was, I think it was a Thursday nighter? It was at the GABA in 2021. I remember watching it from 
my friend's place in Arizona. Yeah, it was a Thursday game, round 15. Cats had entered that game off of a couple of really nice wins. The road win over Port, and then the Gary Rowan after the Siren game, but got beat up pretty good, 94-50. to 50. It's the GABA. I'd love to win this game. I just really want to make sure, just don't get humiliated. Yeah, don't get crushed. If you can hang in there, I'll be really, really positive, because unfortunately, this team is yet to really do something huge on the road. Like, unless you count going to Marvel and beating the dogs, which, I mean, that was a huge win, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't, like, necessarily this, you know, road win. Expect Josh Dunkley to return for the Lions. He'll be going through a test Thursday, so probably by the time we upload this, his status will be established. It would be really cool if he just takes it easy this week, though. Uh, He's been out for two already. Maybe, you know, Take it easy. Maybe, uh, I don't know, sub him out after, like, what, five minutes? What is this? Uh, this isn't his last game or something. This isn't, like, some weird soccer thing. The Josh Dunkley testimony. That'll be, like, a real Lions-Bulldogs buy when he decides to hang it up. We need more testimonials, don't we? Yes. I also wouldn't mind if, like, Lockie Neal and Charlie Cameron and Harris Andrews and Jack Payne all took this week off. Uh, Payne should be in for a bounce-back game. He was quieted by a very active Ben Brown last week. A lot of running, pushing him further upfield. I think Jeremy Cameron is the right guy to do that to Payne this game. Would be a way to get Cameron more involved in the flow of play as well. We see him being a capable full-field mark. I think I think that role would fit him. I hope he watches some of the film of Ben Brown this past week, because I imagine Payne would go to him. Or would he rather go to Hawkins, you think? Good question. Um, like, between Payne and Brandon Starsmith, where do you see those matchups going? I don't know. I feel like I feel like probably Payne to Hawkins. I think Starsevich the more mobile of the two. Uh, yeah, I'm the Baker guy. But still, I, I would want Cameron to push whoever his matchup is further up the ground. Maybe Kalachi factors into a suggestion for the Lions as more of a halfback and wing option. Kai Lomas continued to play well also. The VFL had a bye this past week, but these are names to think about. And Daniel Rich has played one game in reserves following his four-week training block. Not sure if he's ready to return that quickly, though. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different than returning as, you know, as a tall forward like Jack Gunston did. And having an easy game to return and kick a bag. Daniel Rich kicking three goals would be a very dramatic result, regardless of who the matchup is. Rich has kicked three goals three times in his career. The last time he did that was in 2019. Have any of those happened in a Q clash? That seems like the sort of Q clash ass kicking thing that would be very appropriate. How do you know? I was just guessing. Q clash three. He kicked three straight. But his only four goal game did not come against the Suns, and in fact came that same year, 2012, against the Dogs. I guess he had that dog in him that day. Boo! Yeah, that, I'm so sick of that. My thought, you know, one of the ways the Cats could really make this game interesting, because you know you're not going to beat him in the midfield. Hopefully, hold Joe Danaher in check, and ideally, you know, the Lions turn some balls over coming out of their own 50, whether that be Kadeen Coleman or whoever. Because they've been susceptible to that. I think more susceptible than other really good teams. Yeah, there was one key goal last week that Melbourne scored uh, in a patch that was going against them 
late in the second quarter, Jake Bowie scored a goal after Connor McKenna overcooked a kickout. So yeah, they are susceptible to those sorts of errors with some of their longer kicks from the back third. I guess the only injury concern for Geelong coming out of this past round was a slight concern for Gary Rowan with his ankle. Yeah, based off of quotes, it sounds like he's probable to appear in this game. If not, though, maybe that opens up some opportunities. I mean, it's actually a tough decision because is Shannon Neal ready? I don't, I don't see him as a similar type of player. Maybe you, you just, like, push someone like Isaac Smith a little further forward or start Jack Henry further forward or... I don't I don't know. Both of those things, I don't like the idea of them. <laughs> this is a deli of a pickle. Jen Buse could be back from his knee injury, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd change up the defense. I really like what's available right now. The, the one change I would really make, I would really like to see Mitch Nevitt thrown in, whether that's into the lineup or just as a sub. I know O'Sheen Mullen with his speed was very good in that role. With his speed and his very long hair? Holy fuck. I had no idea. Uh, go, go to Geelong's Twitter. See the photos. You can see why the man bun is required. It's, it's, it's something. Uh, see if it's on Instagram, too. Yeah, it is. So one or the other, you'll see it. Thoughts on Sam Menegola? I mean, I like him as a wing. If he could provide some speed, that would be nice. I just don't know, I just don't know who you would take out to get him in there, you know? Yeah, that's the issue with getting him in, or Ollie Dempsey or Mitch Hardy from the reserves. Maybe Hardy gets that opportunity as the sub at some point. Prove his worth there in terms of getting a decent amount of touches and providing pressure that can be valuable in a close late game situation. Lions are favored by 13 and a half, which I think is you know kind of the aggregate. I feel like the odds of a Geelong blowout win are very low. I feel like the odds of a Brisbane blowout win are not huge, but are definitely higher. I feel like probably like a three to five goal Lions win, though, seems like the most likely outcome to me. I don't see the Lions losing this. The The one reason I think they might is I keep telling myself it's really hard to go like a full 11 and 0 at home and I think of their remaining home games this is the best chance for that to happen they've also got the crows and saints at home rounds 22 and 24 if something's gonna happen I guess it's down wait I can see the crows inexplicably stealing one or maybe the only way I see the saints winning there is if like the lions are locked into their spot and the Saints are still playing for something. Yeah, you know, if they're completely locked in, if, they're, if their exact position has been clinched, you could see them resting a lot of players. Maybe that there's less incentive to do that now with the pre-finals by, but it's something that has happened in the past. I know Frio's done it before. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to pick things up with first versus second, the game everyone's talking about. Don't go anywhere. Or, or do as long as you keep the, you know, whatever your, your, your phone or whatever you're listening from with you. Just don't close this. Hi again. Shameless plugging time again. We're on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Let's see how much of my run home predictions become wrong this week. I'm on Twitter personally at BenjaminHK01. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram. He is sleeping on the corner of my bed right now, which is nice because usually he tries to take his half out of the middle. The way he's positioned himself, I don't think he's going to fall, but if he does, it would be really funny. 
Like, I don't want that to happen, but I know he'd be fine, and it, it, it would be pretty entertaining. It's a carpet floor, not hardwood. That probably helps. Back into things with, as we talked about earlier, second hosting first, port hosting Collingwood at the Adelaide Oval. This ought to be a fantastic atmosphere. I mean, both of Port's next two games should be an amazing atmosphere because after this, they've got Showdown 54, and they're both Saturday night games as well. A 7.10 p.m. local bounce, so 7.40 for Victorian audiences and, I guess, Queensland, New South Wales, and Tasmania as well. For Americans, 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 Pacific on Fox Sports 2. Let's just hope that this game is a lot more competitive than their first meeting. That was a different time for the Port Adelaide Football Club. A time when the focus was squarely on Ken Hinckley. Yeah, it's it's amazing how everything's kind of manifested itself since then. That game, they lost by 71. Yeah, there were no you know overwhelming you know, goal-scored performances or anything. It was just a comprehensive Collingwood team victory with, I guess, Nick Dacos doing his thing being a storyline there because it's Nick Dacos and it's Collingwood. Port lost that game, they lost the next one, and then they won their next... 13! 13! <laughs> this is the first time in eight meetings since near the end of the 2017 season that this matchup will be at Adelaide Oval. They were supposed to play in Adelaide in 2021, but that game was moved to Marvel Stadium, which was ultimately empty. As I was saying when I got to briefly get into this game on the... It's technically the round 18 recap on Donnie's disposal. Go give that a listen if you haven't yet. I love this matchup because it's one of those games that can set the record for middle fingers in crowd shots. Just knowing these two fan bases. It could set the record for people wearing sub four black and white jumper. I expect to see, you know, even though Port fans probably want to distinguish themselves for this game, I imagine we will see a lot of prison bar uniforms in the crowd. Oh yeah, I... I think that's way more important to wear that just to show up Collingwood rather than to make it very clear just visually like, hey, look at me. I'm definitely not a Collingwood fan. And now I'm just thinking about the Crows fans singing good old Collingwood forever as showdown was wrapping up earlier this year. And since then, they lost to Collingwood twice by a combined three points. If the Pies win this one, as I expect them to, then they will definitively have the last laugh. I'm taking port. I don't doubt Port at home. I feel like if the Pies win this game, they're one and a half point favorites as we record, by the way. If Collingwood win this game, it's going to be like your signature close Collingwood win on the road. I I can't see them winning this game by more than two goals. I mean, maybe they do it late and they end up winning by more than a couple goals, but maybe it's like the siren sounds and they've already got the mark paid. I can't see them just smashing their way to a win, though. Like, like, I think of what they did in round two, that's, I think the odds of that happening again are almost zero. And especially in Adelaide. The power will be without Darcy Burton-Jones because he was concussed, obviously. Ryan Burton is a pretty versatile player. He was the sub, and he seems to be a logical replacement there. With the ability to pressure decently well before it happened, be a stronger kick for goal. Burton-Jones is an interesting player to replace, though. And then he also got a litany of tests for Charlie Dixon, Jason Horn Francis, Trent McKenzie. Horn Francis being and could solve some of those questions as well with him being a good pressure midfielder. I mean, he hadn't been playing his best before he had gotten hurt, but I think just getting a week off should help him get back towards desired form. 
I think a healthy Charlie Dixon is necessary for this game. Either that or Ollie Lord will have to both play up to his size and kick accurately, which he certainly did not do last week. Or Jeremy Finlayson would need to kick accurately, which normally what's nice about when you have Dixon in there, it allows Finlayson to be a really effective player, even if he doesn't kick super well. That's that's not the case if you don't have Dixon. Then you really need Finlayson to actually kick well, which we've seen many times is far from guaranteed. Defensively, Ken Hickley seemed to back in Tom Jonas, though. I was not a fan of his performance this past round. He looked a step slow multiple times, let kicks go out the back and result in goals, coupled to Jack Silvani this past week. But all eyes will be on Zach Butters because he did not play in the fourth quarter after suffering a bit of a groin injury. So his status this week will determine a lot in terms of the line and ultimately the result. Do you see a way to Portland without Zach Butters, Ethan? Yeah, actually, I think it's, you know, Connor Rosie, Ollie Wines, both play really well. Scott Lysette bounces back from last week. Wines uh, has been a bit quiet as of late. If he wakes up in Butters' absence, then that might be able to cover some things there. But I, I would find it hard for them to win without Butters. I, I, I could see it. You have those guys, you have some like, you know, a big game out of Kane Farrell, Willem Drew. Xavier Dersma in his second game back, or maybe a, just a better game out of Sam Powell Pepper. I think they absolutely have the guys to do it. They, they have the pressuring players to be able to stand up to Collingwood. Imagine, oh gosh, could we have like an explosion on the field if Powell Pepper and Maynard go after each other to bump? That's like an MMA matchup right there. Two very different body types, though, which makes it all the more entertaining. Being able to neutralize Collingwood off the clearance will be important, so if whether or not Tom Mitchell comes back into the 22 between him or Pendlebury, Taylor Adams, Nick Dacos off of stoppages. That's where Drew's going to need to play strong as I imagine he'll be running with Nick Dacos. Adams was phenomenal last week, by the way. Degoe facilitated a lot of his good work. It was Degoe's 150 and then he played up to that. I would also love for a big game out of Willie Rioli. We'll note that he's back to using his birth name after the year-long mourning period for his father, he missed last week for a ceremony back in the Northern Territory to mark the end of that period. I think it's fascinating just learning about like how different cultures handle grieving and death and stuff. And it's it's cool that football has given us like this opportunity to learn about it in you know a culture that's like look the Tiwi Islands has a very small population, and to learn about this just like from an anthrolo- anthropological standpoint. That that was a mouthful. Yeah, it's 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 been really neat to just discover kind of that side of things and, you know, kind of like compare and contrast with like North American indigenous cultures, etc. And the amazing thing is, you know, really, you cannot talk about Tiwi culture without footy. Like, I love what the Gold Coast Suns did for their outreach there. But yes, he is back to now being known as Willie. He should be back this week. That should help. On Collingwood's side, we'll see about Darcy Cameron and Brody Majacek. Uh, Majacek coming off a hamstring injury, Cameron off a back injury. Could squeeze out someone like Billy Frampton or Ash Johnson. I think you really need to have Frampton in there on the defensive side because if we've seen one vulnerability with this team, it's you know, tall defenders one-on-one because as great of a tall defender as Darcy Moore has been, he can't really do it on his own. He needs Murphy and Frampton back there, especially if Dixon's in this game. That's going to be a necessity. I would hate having to squeeze out Ash Johnson after he's been in a decent patch of play as of late, but it may just be a matchup situation there. Such a fun player to watch, too. 
but like more as good as he is you know, i see him more as a free roving kind of center half back like that yeah kind of kind of sweeping around not the guy who's usually going to body up in those one-on-one contests i mean he can that's just not what he's best at no that that's more of nathan murphy's job and frampton's frampton can play between 50s as well so his versatility lends him to keeping his spot i think i mean we know how collingwood will win this game if they if they do right just kind of being themselves yeah i think the the i think the lower scoring game would benefit them would benefit collingwood yes the over under for this game by the way is currently 165 and a half which is kind of i guess a little bit to the lower end but nothing outlandish it's tough to predict this game which is part of what makes it fun we hope you're watching and I don't care how ridiculous the time is for a lot of people here on the West Coast. I will pester as many people as I can to watch this game. Sorry, Doctors and Swans fans. That's a matchup that the last couple of years we've been super excited for. It was fun earlier this year. It was kind of Frio's, you know, one of Frio's we demand to be taken seriously moments. And then things fell apart for them. And now it's just like, even if this game wasn't up against the biggest matchup possible, it still just wouldn't have that sort of appeal to it. As you said earlier on, it's lost its luster a bit. And the outs for them, I mean, Sean Darcy's out certainly doesn't help there. I mean, he's very likely out the ankle injury. Hasn't been confirmed yet, but he's out. I'd be shocked if he plays. And so that requires a real reconfiguration of the Tulls. That's going to be the focus for them this week as they sit in 15th place pretty much out of things. The Swans backs against the wall. Really, one more result going against them probably knocks them out there in 14th after that Thursday win against the Bulldogs. This is a 5.40 p.m. local bounce in Perth, so 7.40 p.m. Eastern Australia, 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific for American audiences going right up against that Port and Collingwood game. You mentioned the game earlier this year that was round nine, a 17-point win for the Dockers. Pretty accurate kicking for goal in that one team's combined to kick 29-15. And Lockie Schultz kicked 4-1, Luke Jackson three straight. One of those was a very cheeky goal. And he was the main character of that round because that was really after he'd found his groove. But what is that groove going to look like this week? Really, the biggest question for selection for Frio and maybe across the league this week is what are the Dockers going to do if, as is very likely, Darcy's going to be out? See, I'm not just looking at it like that. I'm just looking at it as their season's pretty much done for. So how much do you play for the future? How much do you play your, you know, just play your best 22? It's, it's a I, difficult decision. I mean, if you're talking about playing for the future and like, looking for a better draft pick. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. They don't have their first rounder. Yeah, that's going to Melbourne. But I mean, I'm looking at the idea of playing your future just in the idea of seeing what guys can do at the AFL level now. I, yeah, pretty much. It's I imagine you'd be a fan of getting Liam Reedy his debut then. Yeah, see what you've got moving forward and what you're going to need to address in the offseason, whether or not you have draft picks. You know, there. Are, I mean, you look at the lengthy list of good players from the West that either have expiring contracts or could be asking for a trade. Reedy's one that I've been waiting on for a debut. He was part of the rookie draft this past year, 204 centimeters, had played with Frankston, 
give him a chance in the ruck. And that way you can also preserve the structure with having Luke Jackson playing his more natural, kind of tall center half forward role. I like him being at some center bounces as well. The more he's able to play the Luke Jackson way, the better. That said, that game against Melbourne, the first time Darcy got hurt this year, Jackson did everything, but that was also an insane performance with a bit extra motivation, even if he, you know, didn't really say it. But I'd rather have Reedy in. You could go with Josh Corbett coming in as an extra tall for cover, or you could just go Jackson, Tracy, and the Rock and go smaller elsewhere. I think some of it will depend on whether they see the Swans tip their hand one way or another earlier in the week, because there are some questions with their rocks as well, Ethan. Yeah, Tom Hickey was omitted last week. Peter Adams could be back. He's been coming from a knee injury. I thought they did just fine despite letting Tim English get 60 hitouts, just going with Hayden McLean and occasionally Joel Marty in there. I would just stick with that. Kind of like how Port did it last year at times without Lysette. Some big returns elsewhere on the smaller side in particular. For Frio, it's Caleb Sorong from his suspension. And for the Swans, in all likelihood, Chad War will be back from his cap injury. So more hot contests in the middle. I'd love to see those two run with each other off stoppages. I'm also keen on if Neil Erasmus stays inside because it ended up being him taking more of that responsibility rather than James Ashu did stay on the wing more. Erasmus with 26 disposals, the most he's had at AFL level. And I think they're going to try and preserve that structure. I see Nathan Wilson coming in for Brandon Walker to keep Aish there on the wing. Yeah, Wilson, you know, we thought he was really lousy earlier in the year. But at this point, why not give him another chance? Like, we never thought giving Liam Henry another chance made sense. And that's actually worked out really well. So maybe you can find something for Wilson similarly. Yeah, I mean... It's a, it's a tour of Patel attended for Walker, so that's six to eight months probably. His, the start of next season for him is at risk for that. I want to be able to read in this game more, but at this point, with this being a Saturday game, us recording early Wednesday American time, late Wednesday Australian time, it's really going to end up being the the list decisions that will shape our perspective on this, I think. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a lot of ways more interested in the actual list decisions than how the game itself is going to go, as weird as that sounds. Is that partially because it's going up against Portland Collingwood? No, it's more just because of what Frio's season has turned into. I mean, Sydney still have a chance, even if it's a small one. Yeah. I mean, Frio do if they went out, but good luck. I've put an end to flag until 23. It's it's done. Dockers are favored by one and a half. Hold deal advantage? Maybe that may be the result from last time, but I'm picking the Swans to win this one pretty convincingly, actually. I'm going to wait to put in a tip until I see the lists. I do like the Swans going off how they won last week, allowing their smalls to get out the back with the talls, being uh, kind of preoccupying the dog's defense. I could see Frio's defense getting overwhelmed as well, with Brennan Cox remaining out, Alex Pierce really not playing up to standard a lot. If Joel Hamley has to remain in there, it's an issue. So I'm leading Swans as of now. The list may confirm that. On to Sunday. I know you're really keen on the Giants and Suns out in Canberra for multiple reasons. Firstly, the Giants have struggled so much in Canberra. It's the Suns' first game on the road with Stephen King in charge, second overall. And in what both these sides were able to do last week really shapes this one, particularly the Giants being able to win in Adelaide with that fourth quarter comeback, 
without Tom Green and without Stan Callahan to beat the Crows on the road by itself. Awesome. To hold them to 57 in their own building. Fantastic. To do it without either of Tom Green or Finn Callahan. Dianu. To do it without both of them. Dianu. Okay. Do we need, I think we need to explain that. No. I'm just going to leave this and hope that everyone's watched the Rugrats Passover special, which should be mandatory viewing. Non-closet door. And this is the game that I'm most excited about this round. Well aware that I could be disappointed because it's truly the one that I have absolutely no prediction for at all. Like, you could tell me either team wins this game by 50 and I'd say, yep, we could say it'll be a draw and you'll completely understand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would not do great things for the Giants finals hopes. No, considering where their percentage is, that's they, that's a team that could really use a percentage boost. And considering their remaining schedule, they're not going to have a lot of chances to get it. They don't have too many easy games the rest of the way, and that their two wins over Hawthorne were by a combined 15, and that they lost to the Eagles really doesn't help. It's like, say instead of sweeping, sweeping Hawthorne, you lose one of them, but you beat the Eagles and you beat them by like, 70, that would be a much better trade-off for them. So this game gets underway to kick off the Sunday slate. 8.10 p.m. for us on the West Coast. I will be very tuned in for that. 11.10 p.m. on the East Coast, so it'll still be Saturday for us. 1.10 p.m. actually in the ACT for those who are fortunate enough to be there, including, of course, the Tom Green fan club. You know what? Is he going to be out there again with them? God, I hope so. That will be the second time this year. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. The Giants 9-8 and eight in 9, just under 100%. Honestly, I think Adam Kingsley should have locked up Coach Vier with their performance last week. As I said in the previous episode, unless Ken Hinckley wins a flag, I would give it to Kingsley right now. They don't have to win another game. The Suns are 8-9. and They're in 13th, coming off their win over the Saints. You know, as you usually get first game under a new coach. You know, it was a simpler game plan and approach, but it, it worked quite well. They were really good off of ground balls and off of stoppages, especially in the first half. will be interesting to see what they do now that King has like a full week to set things up. And uh, stoppages against Stephen Canelio and Josh Kelly should be fun, even without Tom Breed in there. And who would have thought as much of a monster as Jared Witts has been this year, we're really looking forward to Kieran Briggs going up against him because Briggs has been one of the most pleasant surprises of the entire season. Like, obviously, was a bit quieter last week against Riley O'Brien. Obviously, your all-Australian Ruckman is going to be Tim English or me, me Max gone. It, it really should be English. But I think in honor of Kieran Briggs, we may have to put together, like, the all-pleasant surprise team. That's a good off-season plan. That screams fun off-season project. Like, off the top of my head, you know, someone like Josh Tracy would probably crack that. Maybe Liam Henry if he keeps up his halfback form? Yeah, I was considering that. What about, I mean, did you have expectations for Oscar Allen? If he manages to kick a goal in all 23 games, I think he'd be required to be in there. As I mentioned, Finn Callahan and Tom Green were out last week for the Giants. Green is still one to two weeks away from returning from his hamstring injury. That they've won two games without him is really impressive. Nick Haynes is available to return to the back line from suspension. Could allow for Harry Hillberg to play a bit looser of a game, maybe? He did kick that game-winning goal last week. It was kind of a Mason Redmond moment, as I had said. 
with him just running on from defense to kick the long goal. I love that he had gotten that shot. I was kind of scared that Jesse Hogan was going to keep it and just kick wildly because he's been inconsistent. Not sure how many other changes you make, though, if any. I mean, it would be tough for Harry Rouston to make his way in and Cameron Fleet as well, even though they'd been in the BFL in the past. I mean, Josh Fade did damn well as the sub and kicked a goal that ended up kind of putting things away. I feel like you got to back him in. Some interesting news about Raiden Proust, though. He may be able to play again this season or just play the season, period, because he had that back injury that's that's kept him out the whole way. But if Kieran Briggs keeps up his form, what's the point? I would let him play in the VFL and have him there as, you know, a backup option. But I, I can't justify taking Briggs out of the lineup in any situation right now. Briggs is far better below his knees than any of their other op- ruck options, whether that's Proust, Matt Flynn, Lockie Keith, who's got a hamstring injury. He's also way better above the neck in terms of not doing really, really stupid shit so far. For the Suns, Lockie Weller needs knee reconstruction again. His ACL is cursed. I don't think he had been playing that well, but it sucks to see that happen to anybody. VFL had a buy. Bobby Orchol, Charlie Constable, and Jeremy Shark have all played well down there. I would have put Chol back in a long time ago. I would have never taken him out in the first place. When they managed Levi Casbolt, Chol's been the guy to come back in, but Casbolt has been their best forward as of late. Their their best tall, at least. So I mean, I just I'd bite the bowl to play all of them and have King be in more of a running half forward role where we liked what he had done there, thinking back to 2020 and 21. There weren't many taller forwards that have the running ability that Ben King does. I think you got to find a way with your tall forwards to try to limit Sam Taylor as much as possible. I, I wouldn't just go and like crowd the 450 with all of them, though, is the point. No, what you need is really try to have one guy whose main job is to make Sam Taylor. Is that Levi Casbolt then? Just because he's big? I mean, if you can find a way to get Taylor, you know, dedicated to that one-on-one matchup, absolutely. Maybe tarring him a couple times early to really make that clear, and then that kind of forces Taylor's hand. A lot of this game will be predicated upon Taylor, I think. If it is close, then whatever Taylor does 1v1 will be crucial. Meanwhile, for the Suns, I mean, who does Sam Collins end up getting 1v1 then, you think? I mean, I guess Hogan? Yeah, I think just from a body type standpoint, that makes the most sense. But you could also have them do some work on Daniels or Riccardi. Yeah, it's, I'd say Riccardi. I think Daniels will be more one of those runners again. I love him and Toby Bedford going on opposite flanks. Is Toby Bedford kind of a pleasant surprise this year? I think we saw it coming, though. I mean, I don't think... You know what? Binga could be, honestly. Just a bounce back year for him. Like, I don't think we had thought he was going to be this impactful i think we were you know excited for him to have a new opportunity i don't think we thought like his style was going to fit so perfectly and it would be such a great match for him this game has the narrowest line out of the three on sunday with the giants favored by nine and a half as you said you have no idea what the hell is going to happen i imagine you're tipping the giants barely barely i think even though he's not going to be playing I think the power of the Tom Green fan club is going to be enough. They're finally going to win one in Canberra. I want this momentum to keep going for them. I want Sydney Derby 26 to be a massive game at the show route. It's like simultaneously, I could totally see a world where 
they just don't keep up playing this well and are just due for a clunker and the Suns take advantage and beat them rather convincingly. That Sydney Derby, by the way, is in two weeks' time. They got a trip to Ballarat between now and then. The middle game on Sunday, Melbourne hosting the Adelaide Crows. Dina's coming off that dramatic one-point win over the lines with Jake Melksham being the hero-laden Christian Petraka being Christian Petraka. You know, we talk about guys like, you know, Nick Dacos being Nick Dacos, Clayton Oliver being Clayton Oliver typically for Melbourne, but as of late, it's been Petraka being Petraka. Meanwhile, the Crows coming off that pretty shocking fourth quarter letdown against Greater Western Sydney, and they're against the wall here at 8-9 and with a tough fixture coming up, and they've had trouble outside of South Australia all year. So, uh, yeah, good luck there. I think it was a really devastating loss last week, as I said, for the Crows considering their remaining schedule. I think they're in serious trouble, and they're going to have to do something pretty crazy to be able to get back into this thing. I mean, I could see a world where they even win showdown next week and still miss finals, as crazy as that sounds. Also got a road trip to the GABA. That could definitely hurt them. Their percentage could really take a hit between that game and this one coming up here, which is going to be a 3.20 p.m. bounce. This will be the seven game on Sunday and the Fox Sports 2 game here in the States. So 2.50 p.m. for South Australian audiences. For Americans, 1.20 a.m. Eastern Sunday, 10.20 p.m. Pacific Saturday. These teams met in round 16 last year. Demons took control in the second half to win by 29 at the Adelaide Oval. I think their 2021 meeting at the Adelaide Oval was much more memorable. It was the Demons' first loss of the season after a phenomenal 9-0 start. It was a game they lost by a single point. That was a separate streak from the, the Jake Bowers streak, by the way. That was before that. I think Walker had the winner. There was a question about whether there should have been a delivered out of bounds near the end. I know Hutto was on the call for that. It was like, ring the bell, ring the bell. Just one of those like extremely hyped home win endings. And one of our first real shocks watching the sport. Oh, crap, I forgot to mention with streaks, and this is about the other Adelaide team, but I'm all in favor of poor bringing Francis Evans back in this week. I mean, he's literally never lost. I would just play the guy who has never lost. Not many changes, and even for the Demons, I guess really the only thing to watch is if Harrison Petty needs to stay out. He's been summed out the past two weeks for Joel Smith. With his rib injury, you could see Smith get elevated to the 22 if Petty does need to miss. Otherwise, I guess Adam Tomlinson's the most likely defender to be brought up. The VFL were on a bye last week, so Michael Hibbard couldn't be tested in-game, but he, they did have a scratch match against Sandringham, and he got through that. i take Hibbard over Tomlinson most of the time. I, I guess it would just depend on his fitness there. I, I definitely would, too. You, I haven't been a huge Tomlinson fan this year. Did all right for himself against Carlton and wasn't objectionable for King's birthday, but I, I just back in Hibbert more. On the Crows' side, Josh Rochelle's been suspended two weeks for striking Harry Perriman because, you know, deliberately punching someone is less of a problem than tackling people. Resigned Michael Christian. I have not been that hard on him until this week, but this, this was bad. Uh, Jake Saligo was omitted last week, and... Maybe just because they lost, that's kind of his argument to get back in, but they missed something physically without him. They also could have used Harry Schoenberg for that, and the coaches hinted at rewarding some of their better Sandville players. 
He's been one of them. Also, Sam Barry. If he's gotten over the flu, then yeah. It's just a matter of fluids and hydration, I guess. Um, Elliot Himmelberg had four goals last week. Lachlan Gallant had a couple. I think Gallant, just based on prior performances, has a better shot to get in there. Also, 2021 draftee, preseason draftee, Luke Nankervis. That's another option. Don't believe there is a relation to Toby? Question mark? I feel like we would have heard about it if there was one. Yeah, I don't think there is one considering Toby's from Tasmania and Luke is from kind of the South Metro Melbourne area. I imagine Ben Keys puts on a harder tag this week because he certainly did not last week earlier on and Josh Kelly was able to really get into the game because of that. He was able to work through Keys a decent amount in the second half as well, but if he's occupying Christian Petrock in the whole game, that'll at least cause Melbourne to have to change up their game plans a little bit. And that, and that seems like a pretty logical tag there, cons considering the form that Petrock has had. It depends on how much he goes into midfield, I guess. Otherwise, maybe some more attention will be on, I guess, Brayshaw or Jack Viney. But Petrocker requires attention one way or the other. Maybe Keys in the midfield and then one of the tougher defenders there. It's tough when you're still a bit thinner defensively. If you play Ned McHenry the whole way, maybe you can have him run it with Petraga in the defensive 50. I guess, I think. Just going with keys on him is the move. Petraga's playing with so much confidence right now that it's pretty terrifying. You need to shake him in some way. And I think it's also easier to just tag him when you don't have to think about Clayton Oliver. Yeah, that that's a nice name to, to not have to deal with this week. Oliver should be back before the end of the home and away season, but they're going well enough without him at the moment. And just with this injury thing, it feels like it's gone on for so long that it's like, you never know when he's actually going to be back. Lied. Demons favored by 18 and a half. This is one of those games that is completely based on where it's being played. I mean, Melbourne have gotten the better of Adelaide there most recently, but yeah, the, the line would be probably, it could be in single digits if it's in Adelaide, even off the Crows' past game, but not when it's at the G. Final game of the round supposed to be a clunker it was last time but if north can beat the saints brett ratton would get a well-deserved win it would be against his former side and he's on the way out of that caretaker role it would be hilarious if they won this game so yeah so let's just preface it with you know alistair clarkson uh taking over again as head coach immediately after the round 20 game against the eagles so the first time he'll be really back in charge for a game is against the Demons out at Bloodstone Arena. So, clock's ticking for Radden to be able to get that result. If it's against the Saints, it will be hilarious, but also very well-deserved. I love that Radden's going to get to coach against the Eagles. They're going to give him every possible chance to win a game. I, I, I love that he's coaching against the Saints, even more so. Anyway, when these teams played last time, it was also at Marvel. This one's a Saints home game. That one was North's home game. It was a 64-34 Saints win. The teams combined for 12 goals and 26 behinds. North kicked seven behinds in the first half. It was North's first goalless first half since round 12 of 1979. And it's not like the Saints were much better. They kicked 1-6 in the first quarter. Then they kicked 2-3 in the second. And then 3-6 in the third. It, it, it was awful. And it wasn't just that. It was such a boring game because it was so much of teams you know passing it around in their own end against low pressure it it sucked half back passes to the center back to the wing 
Back to the center. It just sucked, and I hope this one's better. Saints at 9-8, and eight, holding in 6th after their loss to the Suns, who were definitely mighty. North at 2-15, and 15, they've lost 15 in a row after falling to the Hawks. They couldn't keep with him in the second half. This is a 4.40 p.m. start locally, so 2.40 a.m. Eastern, 11.40 p.m. Pacific on Saturday for us. Fox Soccer Plus, of course. Jack Higgins can return for the Saints. He hurt his knee a couple rounds ago, so that will be a big return for them because they've been lacking that spark from him in the forward half. He'd been one of their most reliable performers in kind of the month and a half leading up to that. You should also note, Ross Lyon has said that the workload as a late co- has caught up to his first-year forward-out players. So, Anthony Caminiti, Matthias Filippo, you think he's hinting at some management there? They've played every possible game, you know. The only games Caminiti's missed is when he was suspended. Yeah, I think that's possible. I also feel like both of them could have a really good game this week, especially against a thinner North defense, obviously. Griffin Logue out for the year. Ben McKay having to deal with a knee injury and hiding the fact that he's going through arthroscopic surgery in his other identity. There's an opportunity for some real punishment there. I've been proven right about Cam and Eddie a lot this year. I want Filippo to get more 450 time as well. I think he's got the potential to be a really fun player. I know he's been quieter lately, but I feel like I said this when talking with Donnie or Coach Hess. One of Caminiti, Owens, or Filippo is going to go off this week. I think Owens is the safest pick there. If you are looking at reserves options, Jack Bytel and Ben Patton could be considered. I'm not sure if Jack, 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 Jack Hayes is ready just yet. He's building fitness again after the knee surgery. I'd love to see him in this year. I'm not sure if this is the right game for it. Benjamin, do you like fitness? I'm not doing that. Fuck. On North side. George Wardlaw is going to be out three weeks with that hamstring injury, and Cam Zerhard maybe will get one more game at the very end of the season. He's dealing with syndesmosis. There will be no Callum Coleman-Jones this week. He's concussed. And then we'll see about Jackson Archer with his hamstring injury. We'll see about Flynn Perez with his knee injury. We'll see about Liam Shields with his ankle injury that looked really bad when it happened. Yeah, managed to get back on the oval and was their fresher leader. Love that he played as hard as he did against Hawthorne. But yeah, a lot of changes possibly for the canvas this week. Jack Zebel being elevated seems pretty obvious whether they put him in defense or forward. With the outs, I mean, I guess it would be defense. In the VFL, what a shock. Todd Goldstein was impressive. I'm impressed that he is like, yeah, I'll go play in the reserves and just, just doing it without complaining. And then... Aaron Hall, Charlie Lazaro, and Will Phillips we considered. I liked Lazaro, the game they played at Geelong. Also, Hugh Greenwood getting dropped didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make sense to me either. I think between Phillips and Greenwood, I'd love to to see them in together. Phillips, a bit more on the smaller side, a bit more of a nose for goal. But both he and Greenwood, just really good at attacking contests. And especially with Wardlaw out, North need a presence like that. I get that he doesn't, you know, Greenwood won't get quite as many touches with Luke Davies Uniac in there, but they may still be without Jai Simpkin. He suffered his second concussion of the year back at round 17. We don't know about his status, but usually when guys have multiple concussions in the season, you play it safe. And that would also give Greenwood an opportunity to get more touches. Saints are favored by 33 and a half, but maybe this is the one for North. I don't know. I would love it if both North and the Eagles win one more game this year that isn't against each other. I want North to win this game because 
I mean, for the heck of it, Eagles still getting the spoon after a win would just be funny to me. And also, I mean, obviously, interesting things with traits there. So, uh, Ethan, you got a main character pick for this week. I mean, it feels like you've kind of talked up Brett Ratton a bit. I have, but my main character pick for the week, I think it's got to be something out of the Port Collingwood game. You can't go for middle fingers. That's a cop out. And I picked Port to win this game. Do I think main character? You know what? I like the idea of this one, no matter who wins this game. Jordan Degoe. I can definitely see that. He has been disciplined once this year, but he's been, he's on the ball so much that he'll be a focus in this game. I mean, it's I love that pick. He has to be relevant in some way, and he will be. You know, Nick Dacos and Jordan Degoe being relevant for Collingwood, it's, it's a shoe-in. But him being a main character, yeah, I could see that. Um, my pick for this week, I don't want to go with that game. Uh, out of the Giants, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for you know that that one huge game out of someone on the Giants not named Green, whether there's an E at the end or Kelly. So Stephen Canelio this week. All right, that. With that, we're gonna wrap things up. You know the drill. Find us on Twitter. I'm at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. I'm at Benjamin HK01. That's an H and a K. We're collectively at Americans Footy there and on YouTube. Brian Harambe, of course, is on Instagram. You can follow him at Brian. I've got some fun stuff I'm going to be posting in the next couple days. And, you know, thank you once again for tuning in, whether you've been here for one episode or all 120. Also, definitely check out Ethan's uh, appearance on Donnie's Disposal. You can find that on YouTube. Coach Donnie has has done great work in the American Photosphere, of course, out in Iowa. He's a coach out there as well. He's brought us into the Fantasy League, and we love that American Photy Fan Network. We'll be having more of those people on here in the off season. 